I was standing in the bathroom at our apartment, and uh, I don't think my mom was home. My brother was out in the living room, uh, I believe either playing video games or, or watching a cartoon or something. And I was like just at the point of, uh, like, I'm there, like, what can I do to end this? And then I heard, I mean, I'm sitting there with it, just kind of like right on the edge. Because while there was a strong pull towards it, there was definitely a piece of me that, you know, didn't want to go. Okay, uh, hi folks, and uh, welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. Um, as always, I appreciate you protecting a little bit of time for uh, myself and my guests. I think this is going to be a, a, an interesting one and a special one um, for us. The whole idea of the Undo Anxiety Podcast is... Uh, through the sharing of stories and ideas, we all are going to feel less alone and unravel and undo some of that undue anxiety that we all tend to experience, at least some of the time, unnecessarily. And I am thrilled and excited to have uh, Kevin Oberhausen with me. Kevin, welcome, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Kevin, I'm going to give a brief bio um, of what I know about you. If I'm missing anything, please uh, let me know. But I know you to be a life coach, an energy worker, a healer, a teacher, a joy enthusiast, which is a phrase, man, that I am going to cling to. I love that. <laughs> and, um, and you were brought to my attention by a mutual friend, Amy Guth, who I think we both know and love, who, um, who was telling me about something called a 30-day self-love marathon, which I'm going to want to hear about at some point. Um, but I was hoping that you would kind of take me back to the beginning and tell me a little bit about your own personal story and how you came to be this great healer that you are today. Uh, sure. So one of the one of the earliest memories I have that really sparked uh, a curiosity or a passion for helping other people uh, came about when I was uh, quite a bit younger. Um, I grew up with uh, just my mom and my younger brother, and my mother loved uh, WGN TV, anything Everwood, Gilmore Girls, Seventh Heaven, all of that stuff. It was a, that was pretty much the only stuff, channel right? that was. <laughs> it's yeah. just addictive stuff. Let's admit it. And we, she was very protective. So anything off of that channel, or you know, I wasn't allowed to watch a PG thirteen movie till I was like fifteen. So. so we're going for the very very <laughs> um, wholesome vibe of of w of the uh of the wgn span huh right yeah uh but within this wholesome vibe there was an episode on seventh heaven where one of the main characters uh girlfriends was a self-mutilator and this was the first time i had ever come across any sort of idea with uh like this and it was uh confusing uh, was probably the best word that I can use. I just could have never fathomed that anyone would ever think to do that or feel in such a way that that would come out. Um, to feel that terribly so, about oneself, huh? to feel so awful. Right. To ever inflict like physical harm, you know, to me, like my whole thing, I'm not physical harm. No, <laughs> like, I don't want to get in, you know, and I had grown up in a, in a rough neighborhood and, you know, you, st you stared away from anything that could harm you a little bit. Um, but yeah, so to, to think of someone uh, to, to be in a place where they either, yeah, dislike themselves so much or, or disliked living in life and, and seem to be cut off or unaware of that, that joy and the passion and, and the abundance and the creativity that is so available to us to, to have to realize that there's someone that could be alive that is unaware of it or feels that it's not there for them. That was, um, it was very impactful. Um, how, how old were so, you? How old were you, Kevin, when, when, when you saw this as, as far as you know, roughly, uh, probably like between nine and 12. I was pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is alarming. You know, I, I find, um, in, in my work that, you know, people either can wrap their brain around this idea of self harm and suicide, or they simply, cannot and it's absolutely foreign to them but but between nine and 12 very few kids i think can really kind of make sense of what that could possibly mean and why anybody would ever want to do it yeah i mean unless you're unless you're in a situation where uh i mean unless you've had a childhood up to that point where you're already feeling that way yeah that's i mean it's that's a total shock right um so 
so from there, I it was realizing that there were people who felt that way or were unaware of some of this. Um, I had a, a large interest in in helping others to to experience more of it, and I didn't really start getting a chance to practice much of that until I got more into high school. Um, uh, but with at the same time when I got into high school, I ended up finding myself in similar situations, and I did go through a period where. Um, uh, depression became a huge issue and I, I had started to become suicidal and um, I, you know, had been to a point where self-mutilation was something that I'd started to do, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was interesting to think that at nine, I was like, how could ever someone ever do that? And, you know, less than probably about somewhere between five and seven years later, it's, it's happening. But um, can I ask you an odd question about that? Do you, yeah. do you feel like um, I've, I've had parents concerned that that, that, um, self-mutilation was a suggestible symptom. In other words, like, you know, the idea that you see this on seventh heaven plants the idea in your brain years later, like, oh, if I feel bad, the way to manage that is to harm myself. Do you think there's any veracity to that? Or do you feel like, mm, no, I think that might've been something that came to me organically somehow? Um, and, and full disclosure, I would say that having seen that, uh, made it an idea that was much more available to me. Yeah. I, I would not go as far to say that that would be the case for everyone or that's the only way it would happen, but it definitely made it much more accessible. Got it. Got it. Okay. So um, if I can ask, and I know this is a very personal question, what were the circumstances mm-hmm. that brought you to that depression? Um. Well, at the time, I didn't really understand a lot of it. Looking back, um, so my so my my father was not around when I was younger, and I had always thought that that didn't bother me because it had happened so young, and before he was like really not around, he was barely around. So I just thought like it was something I was used to, and you know, I didn't. I never really cried about it. My family seemed distraught about it a lot. When I was really young, I would get a little upset. I do remember a specific moment being like, well, not everyone can be upset, so I'm going to stop. Um, and so as I moved forward and started moving to teenage years and started having a, you know, a whole new range of human interaction, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of the little things that came with him not being around and like the stuff I know from the own from some of the work that I've done for myself and with other people, um, there was a, a large, very deep abandonment issues and uh, things of that nature. And um, I think that there were a lot of triggers there that I didn't understand that were very easy to hit that were around it was very easy for me to fall into a place of feeling insignificant that I didn't understand then, or I mean, I didn't understand that was happening at all, but right. uh, that came around this this fear of abandonment where, yeah, so it's just really little triggers. And I think that started to build up with all these new interactions, especially as you start to, there's just so much going on at that age, you know? So, Liberty and, oh, and, adolescence, right, is it, it, rife with issues. Um, I, I can imagine... Um, I, I've worked with people who lost a parent um, before they were even born or before the lens of their memory um, and people who've lost a parent um, for one reason or another afterwards. And I think overall, from what I understand, it's tougher to lose a, to kind of lose a parent afterwards, especially if you know he's out there, he's drawing breath somewhere, and that brings up this kind of idea that I'm not in, significant or loved or wanted or something, yes? Yeah, especially, uh, I there was at least enough time there to where, you know, I had experiences of, uh, to where I'm asking, like, why isn't he here? Yeah. You know, I may not have consciously remembered them at that point. Sure. You know, I've done a lot of work that have, that has brought awareness to it, but there has been this, this fear of, 
you know, like, yeah, why isn't he coming back? Or if someone leaves, they may never come back again. Um, through some of the memory work that I've done, I was telling you about the holographic memory resolution. I had a memory that had come up during the work. And at first I thought it was a, a favorite memory. It was from when I was playing with my dad on the side of our apartment. Uh, this is back when we lived in Texas. I lived in Texas, so I was five. Okay. And we were playing with a T-ball set. Loved baseball. Played baseball for a long time. And I hit this like wiffle ball or whatever it was up over the apartment building across the street, which for like a four year old is, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> right. And so as this is coming up, I'm like, well, why? Like, this is interesting. Um, at this point I trusted the process enough to know something's going to happen, but I was like, this is, this is really interesting because this is like a favorite memory of mine. Mm-hmm. And so as we're going through the process, like, okay, this happens. And then, you know, the, the facilitator's asking, well, what happens next? I'm like, okay, well, I hit it. I get excited. Uh, what happens next? My dad goes to, across the street over behind the apartment to get the ball. Okay, and what happens next? I'm afraid he won't come back. And that sheer hit, that it, that, um, it hit to a point, you know, when trauma stores in the body, it's a moment of physical or emotional overwhelm. Yes. So just him going to get the ball at that point because of so much of the back and forth was enough of emotional hit that, you know, it would imprint. And then that creates triggers um, and stuff like that. But so there was enough of that interaction there to where now when I'm getting hit into 13, 14, 15, there's this huge new range of interactions. It's, it doesn't take much to really hit these feelings. And I didn't really know what was even going on. I just started to feel really terrible. And then there was this idea of, oh, well, this person did this. What if, like, what if I did it? Right. We had this kind of transitive way of thinking about things, right? Because, Right. If, 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 in fact, you know, you have this memory this, the, uh, that's, that seems so crystal clear, I'm afraid he's not coming back, you can imagine that that transmits into all sorts of different kinds of relationships and all sorts of different iterations and creates a lot of that kind of ab- abandonment anxiety, especially in those early teen years when we start to become aware of ourselves, of our own emotions. And, um, and so I can imagine that that was a traumatic difficult time for you whereas earlier it was just it, it might have been you know I, I think there's this kind of like ignorance is bliss when you're eight years old and dad's not around it's kind of like eh, dad's not around you know but right. that might change one day you know and um when you're 13 14 and 15 um you start to you start to get this grasp of yourself and how you fit in the world and this context of reality and that no longer becomes really feels like a strong possibility and you yeah. feel like you might be abandoned by others as well. It was also when I first started to create relationships that I really cared about. Um, mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I grew up in, a, in an area that wasn't so great. And so I, I ignored a lot of my surroundings. I didn't really develop too many friendships or relationships. Um, but when I hit high school and I went to high school a bit away from my neighborhood in a totally different setting, now I'm starting to develop new friendships almost for the first, you know, deep, like more friendships almost for the first time. You're starting to get into romantic relationships, things like that. And so uh, now that that more, that bit more of an exchange and caring is there, those triggers become um, revealed or they're, you know, like no one was touching them before, essentially. Right. And now you're putting yourself in situations where they're applicable. It it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I do a lot of work with teenagers and, you know, a lot of the issues that they experienced early in their lives aren't apparent until they're teenagers because, you know, you just don't have, you're not, your your brain hasn't developed and your your emotional brain hasn't developed to the point where you really grasp what's what's going on. And it's, and, and to your point, it's a confusing enough time if everything goes smoothly to that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so how do things progress from you, for you from, from that point? So I, I like that idea that, you know, like, okay, so I start to develop these relationships at my high school, which is, it feels like a whole new world in a way to hear you describe it. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely was um, uh, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but uh, so things went on and... Um, uh, a couple things that happened. I th- eventually, I had involved uh, my mom with it a little bit more. Uh, I don't remember how much I may have uh, shared. I shared enough to let her know, like, I think I want help. Uh, but th- I probably held some back. Um, and so my 
doctor put me on Paxil. I someone I was my mom hired a therapist for me that started coming to our place once a week, and I very much disliked both of those experiences. The the Paxil. Um, uh, I went, I started, I wasn't really feeling anything whatsoever. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, that's felt worse than, than feeling something right. No matter what it was like the total numbness, it was, I mean, cause then you can't even enjoy the good, any of the good, you know, um, can, as, can I, can I, can I pause you on that point? Because I think yeah. that's really, really a salient, um, thing for people to consider, when they're considering medication, you know, um, I'm not a psychi- psychiatrist. Neither of us is, um, and yet um, I feel strongly the way you do. You know, like I think it's more important to allow yourself to feel what you feel. I think there are cues that your body and your mind are giving you, and when we numb those out, right, we we're, then, then we're missing some of that, and then we don't feel like ourselves. Yeah, that's um. Uh, there, I actually I like to call them uh, clues to our recovery. Like it's 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 your mind, it's your body mapping out your pathway back, your pathway back to to joy, your pathway back to feeling whole or whatever it is that you're that you're looking for. Um, that's it, it. It's exact. That yeah, they're totally cues. And when you numb yourself out, uh, not only do you miss the cues. But any of the good stuff that was coming in, again, like you're you're numb to everything. Um, I uh, there's actually so same with the HMR work. Something that's interesting. The only major contraindication for doing the work. Um, so the work allows again for people to uh, locate, access, reframe, and release negative memories being stored in the body without reliving them. And remind the only, people what, what what HMR stands for. I just want my uh, listeners to know. Yeah, holographic memory resolution. So, um, the only, one of the main co- uh, contraindications to doing the therapy is if someone is on a benzodiazepine, and for some reason, when uh, the so the man who founded it, as as I was taking the the training with him, he mentioned for whatever reason the people that he sees where the the therapy or the the resolution that they create doesn't stick are pa- are patients with that are taking benzodiazepines. And he had shared that from the different, so he's got like over 150,000 documented memories, all sorts of case and clinical work. Um, but uh, he says that it looks like what the benzos do is kind of separate you from your emotional body or your emotional system so that when you go to reframe it, because you don't have that access, you can't actually resolve it. So yeah, it keeps you from it, which kind of feels safe, but ultimately it's totally inhibiting you from, from healing. Um, wow, that is that is so brilliant. You know, um, when I work with, it's usually young people who um, are abusing benzos. Mm-hmm. Usually, the whole idea is to remove yourself from your body and from your mind and from what you're experiencing. Right. You know, because it's painful, right? So it's um, it's over medicating and hyper medicating um, mm-hmm. to the point of oblivion sometimes. Um, what you need to be feeling in order to find your path back to joy. Because when you're in the midst of using and abusing these meds, that path isn't available to you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I didn't, yeah, and I didn't really see to what extent that could be until uh, doing some of the HMR work. It's almost like it's, it seems like it's almost literally cutting cutting that option yeah. off. So, so I understand very clearly why um, the Paxil was not something that was effective for you and that you really mm-hmm. disliked that experience. But you said you, there was psychotherapy. There was a therapist who came to your house as well. Yeah, so there's a therapist. And I think I was just a little, uh, maybe even just a little angsty with it to begin with. I'm just this, you know, I'm a teenager and I'm kind of, <laughs> I've always been, a, I'd always been a bit of a, a, a rebel to begin with. And so like, I think just there was a little bit of that. But what ended up really kind of, the point where I told my mom, you know, my, like my mom got home, like you've got to fire this person. Um, we were talking. I think it might have been our third session, and we were talking, and the response was something along the lines of, "I don't know what to tell you. High school sucks." And I was like, "What are we paying you for?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I, just, right. I don't need you to tell me that right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
that's not that's affirming that i mean just affirm like you're not helping anyone by like further affirming that for them it's I a mean, that's, it's a horrible message it. too if he's going house to house to house saying you know well high school sucks you got to deal with it it's a terrible message because i um uh, i firmly disagree you know i, Me too. I uh, yeah, right i do too what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think, you know, any time of life, including high school, which has this reputation of being awful, oh, adolescence is so brutal and trying, and yet I think it also is um, some of the most joyful times of life. And, and, and I love how potent the, um, the passion can be for high school kids and, um, and the love and the hate and, and the, the power of the emotions is something that is un undeniable and so powerful that I, I would never want anybody to forego that. No, not at all. It was with exactly with all the, the ups and downs and back and forth of high school. I still look at it very much as a, it can be a very empowering time. You know, the, the parents will joke around about, you know, teenage angst or teenagers being crazy or weird or whatever. But, you know, part of that is just everyone that that's just happens to be a point in your life where you, you, where you do start to question things, where you do want to do things on your own, where you do, and a lot of times it can come out as, as angsty and whatever, but really what's happening is this is your first moment of really taking a crack at being your own person or standing in your own power and things like that. And yes. painting this picture that it, it is hard, affirming that it's hard, um, is is only is it's only going to create that for yourself. Your experience is really going to come down to... Um, uh, really, the way you feel in a lot of your experience, it comes down to the language you're using in your head. So, if you're if the language you're using in your head is this sucks or this is terrible or you know f that teacher or I don't like this subject or all these things or 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 your focus is on high school sucks. If that's the word, or that that's the language it's playing over and over. That's how you're gonna feel. That's the experience you're gonna have. Um, so. To paint that picture for a therapist, especially like looking back on it now and in the work that I do, like for a therapist to <laughs> to have, you've got to be so careful with what you're with what you're sharing, you know. Like, give. I feel like I might be losing the original question a bit, but uh, you know, I give them. You're on a roll, man. I like where you're going. <laughs> give you know, give you want to give them the tools to to create that positive experience for themselves. Um, and, and what better a time than, than at a moment where they're really trying to, to learn about and accept and stand in their own power and to be like, hey, if you want your experience to be this way, here are some tools. If you change the language you're using, just, sim just something as simple as you change the way, you, the language you're using in your head, you change the thoughts that you're using in your head, you're gonna feel totally different. You know, so, something that I share with my clients all the time is that if you're feeling, if you're feeling crappy feelings, you're probably thinking crappy thoughts. And I let them know, if you're feeling crappy, that's your time to stop, take a breath, pay attention to the thoughts you're thinking and what you're focusing on. Um, so, and actually, so the joy enthusiast is one thing, like that's how Amy had introduced me. Another thing that I like put on my tagline is, is a mindset activist. Um, and, and this is, I'm so passionate about this stuff because even again, just that one simple sentence, oh, I don't know, high school sucks. Like, like you've really, every single word that you tell yourself, and if you're in a position to influence others, you, everything that you, that you share, the language that you use, like you have to be considerate of the fact that if they internalize that language, that's where they're going to start creating and experiencing from. And, so, and, and if you do that as parents, it's the same thing. Ke Kevin, you are right. becoming one of my favorite people because I, <laughs> I, this idea of the language that we use internally, um, first of all, I think it's something we don't attend to very often. And so we just carry these scripts and we repeat them over and over again. And they might be about right. ourselves. They might be the good enough, you know, I'm not good enough script or I'm not thin enough, or I don't make enough money script, or high school sucks, or my job sucks, or my marriage sucks. And, uh, you know, the language that we use in our heads is usually so harsh. And if we attend to it, we'll recognize that, right? And, but, but if we never attend to it, then we'll wonder like, well, why do I think I have to have six beers every night when I get home? Or, you know, why am I smoking this joint right now? Or whatever, it is, you know, what, what self-destructive behavior you engage in probably has something to do with the thoughts that you carry that, you're, that, that are just subconscious, but they're accessible, right? I mean, you, you can grasp those. You can, you can draw them right into consciousness and you can change those. Am I correct? 
Absolutely. That's, uh, you know, with a lot of the, with a lot of the, the, the work that I do or that I share with others and, and one of the big messages in the, in the 30 day self-love marathon, like when you're coming to change these things, the very first step is just becoming aware of them. Yeah. It's just taking that moment to, to become aware of like, Oh, I keep saying that work sucks. And I know that, and, and that's what I'm experiencing. And maybe if I were to just change the way I thought about it, it wouldn't be so bad. Sure. Right. So, so if you don't mind, just in terms of your story, because I would imagine mm-hmm. the people listening are as curious as I am, how does a guy go from uh, just kind of starting to feeling, feel those teenage feelings, recognizing that some of them are darker than you anticipated they might be, um, how do you go from there to really considering yourself a joyful man? Um, well, so... Got rid of the got rid of the therapist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just as a side note, that's not the answer for everybody. Speaking right? As, no. <laughs> speaking as a therapist. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm kidding. If, if they're saying high school sucks when you're trying to handle and move past that, then get rid of them. That yeah, might be not, the guy to get rid of. Yeah. I got so got rid of my therapist, um, and then uh, recognized what I was feeling and the experience I was having with the Paxil. And decided, I don't even think I told anyone I was going to stop taking it. I don't think I told my mom. I definitely didn't tell my doctor. I just stopped. And, um, but then I had a moment where I specifically remembered I was standing in the bathroom. I was standing in the bathroom at our apartment. And uh, I don't think my mom was home. My brother was out in the living room, uh, I believe, either playing video games or, or watching a cartoon or something. And I was like, just at the point of, I, like, I'm there. Like, what can I do to end this? And then I heard. I mean, I'm sitting there with it, just kind of like right on that edge. And because while there was a strong pull towards it, there was definitely a piece of me that, you know, didn't want to go. Right. And. Of and uh, I heard my brother in the background, and I thought I instantly just got kind of flashes of of what the impact would be like for him, um, not only just through losing me, but losing me on top of the situation with our father. Mm. And I think that might have triggered a bit of the the responsible like paternal part in me enough to where I was like, okay, like no more of this. Um, you know, I cared about my brother very much and I was very much the, I mean, I really was the only like older male figure around. Um, but, uh, so yeah, it just triggered this, this thought of like, okay, you know what? No more. I'm going to decide to do something different. I'm going to decide like in it, it, it was, it was, it was a clear conscious decision. I'm going to be happy. And everything changed after that. Um, I'm not there. I, then there were still other things that I dealt with, but the, I I don't so much change after that. And I definitely, that started my journey out. Um, and that continued. Can can I I stop you for a second? Do you think any, anybody, any teenager or any person in that desperate a moment can make that call? You know, because I, I, I kind of harbor this belief that even the, the most suicidal person on earth right this moment doesn't really want to die, just wants to end something that's horrible, right? Um, right. And, um, you know, I, I so appreciate this idea that, you know, like you can flip that switch and say, you know, you know what, I, am, I don't want to feel this pain and I'm going to be a happy person from here on out. And you have this kind of like um, foundational responsibility that kind of draws you to that as well. Um, but do you think that that's accessible, that, that idea to anybody who's in the darkest of straits. Yes, absolutely, I do. Um, and it's just, uh, again, it can just kind of come down to a decision to to look for that decision and to look for the the possibilities and opportunities with it. But it really just comes down to that basic this this base decision of. I'm going to be happy or I'm going to change my life or I'm going to have a different experience. And, you know, one of the reasons I I think hearing my brother helped to spark the ability to step into that decision is, is because it did tr- trigger that like kind of responsible paternal th- thing that I developed within part that I developed within myself. Um, having grown up without 
the father figure around. Right. And and the resources from that part coming forward really I then I think help to step into that decision of I'm going to be happy. So even if you're in the, this biggest depth, there's always someone Every person has somewhere in them, uh, you know, like a, a warrior or a paternal or a, some sort of essence that you can always, like almost always um, pick out a part in, in their life where they either feel at least confident. And if you're able to bring those resources over, like one of the techniques used in coaching is like to bring the resources from that one area of their life into this other area. Yes. Um, and so... It's it's absolutely available to everybody. Yeah. I don't I don't care who you are. Right. It sounds like you, that that is that is an absolute. Now it's not lost on me that not everybody who is able to kind of pull themselves up from the depths by using the mind, just the power of the mind, the power of thinking, the, the decision to be joyful. Not everybody decides I'm going to make a living out of you know and a vocation out of delivering that message to other people. Um, so this must have been particularly potent to you, yeah? Yeah. Well, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't decided to make a living out of it at this point. Um, from that point forward, I, I mean, I was the kid in high school who, like, I mean, I made sure everyone knew uh, they could call me three, four in the morning. It didn't matter. Um, I also then tended, and this was a whole another thing for me to to sort out. But you know, then I tended to attract and 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 date the girls who were in those like you know everyone I dated was uh like they had a back a, a traumatic background you know um I and so I found myself guys like this I worry right I mean that, so yeah and that wasn't it wasn't healthy that right. was another part of my own my own journey and my own growth and and I learned a lot about I learned a lot about boundaries I learned a lot about responsibility and when I say responsibility I mean like who's responsible for what you know, and, and, and what can you really do? And ultimately everyone's responsible for the way they feel. And you're the only person that's responsible for the way that you feel. And no one can really change that. And so what I would try to do, you know, then I didn't really have the same tools or outlooks. So, uh, or mostly like the, the outlook. And so I would try to help them fix it by Picking up part of the, you know, part of the horse. I don't know what. I don't yeah. know why it's a word, but if depression was a horse, I tried lifting half of it for them. When really, if they're not willing to lift all of it, it doesn't matter. Right. And so there was a, there, there's a whole yeah. If if you're a guy or a girl who you find yourself, you're always trying. You always find in relationships where you're trying to help someone else fix themselves or their lives. Like, um. Actually, the first thing I'd say is there's probably a lot of it in your own life that you got to do, and that's really where I learned to step out of that. Was when I was like, okay, it's, right, you're you're probably shirking some of the own responsibility in your life so that you can take on responsibility in somebody else's. Um, but yeah, so I hadn't decided on this as a living yet, and um, I went throughout and and th- so in high school for a little while, I was that person that I like. I made sure you could come to me and, and encourage you to do so, and then after one really intense relationship. Um, uh, this is where, this is really where I learned a lot of this, uh, you know, like I tried so much and they just weren't changing, right. Their state wasn't changing. And so eventually that I hit a, I hit a breaking point. It was, and that's when I realized like, Hey, you've got to do something different. Like you've got to make a difference and there's nothing else I can do. So I stopped stressing out over it. And then, um, they actually called me, uh, we split and then they called me and they asked, um, I pick up the phone. They go, do you want to do it or should I? And I go, what do you mean? She's like, I have my dad's gun. And it kind of started going down on this thing. And um, that was – that's weird. I haven't thought about this in a long time. Um, That was was a big test to kind of still go into the same thing. And uh, I don't know if I would say that this is absolutely the the right way to handle it. I I don't regret the way I handled it. But I I pretty much still stood the same ground of like – You've got to decide to do something. This is this isn't what I said, but essentially the message was like, I mean, I stood I stood here like this is not my responsibility. This is not my responsibility. What you choose to do, how you choose to feel, how you choose to live, this is yours. And uh, they're alive and doing well. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, and it's a bold thing to do, isn't it? I mean, 
you know, um, in, in a way, I'm uh, anxious just hearing the story. Uh, and uh, it's, it's an anxiety-provoking story. And yet you had this clarity because probably of where you'd been in your life that I can't, I can't decide this for you. And if this is the decision you've made, then it's the decision you've made. It's not what I would choose. But, you know, I can't take responsibility for it. Right. And I can't I can't take the responsibility in the sense of that. Oh, it was my decision that made her do it. No, right. it was her decision, which I mean, she didn't do it. Right. But it's but it's that clarity. And and I think uh, just for just for any this is coming up. So I'm going to share it just for anyone. If you ever do find yourself in a similar situation, you, you do have to maintain like it's it's not your responsibility. But if you can show both show and express, I do care about you. I do care about you and I'm present in that way, but this is, you know, and you'll know what language you use in the moment, but this is on you. Like you need to make this choice. This is nothing to do with me. You can't put this on me. I do care about you, but you can't put this on me. Um, you know, I think that's, that's just an ideal way to, uh, to enter into the situation. That's what helped in that situation. And if should I, if I were to ever be in the situation again, uh, which I don't think I will, but should it ever happen, I would I would handle it the same way. Yeah, yeah, and and there's there's something powerful about um, both statements. You know, this idea like I care about you, I love you. You know, that's unequivocal. Um, I'm not going to take responsibility for this either. There's something like oddly empowering about that to the sufferer yeah. right in that moment um exactly yeah that 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 i kind of really I, i'd never heard this type of story before you know and then and i was curious to hear how you handled it and i get it i get why you handle it the way you did i get why why it worked why why she's still drawing breath now um because in a way you gave her space to kind of listen to herself right instead of like you know, having you try to talk her out of it, you know, which um, I think can sometimes be futile. Yeah, well, exactly. When you start trying to talk and start falling all into it, you're, 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 uh, maybe even you can you can run into um, ena- either enabling you're you can run into enabling more of this disempowerment and, and the the blame and the different stuff and then putting all of their stuff on the shoulders of these other things um and you know i what you know like you said it's empowering and really what you're doing in that situation is you're setting a standard and this is really a standard that step that's set by life you know stepping yeah. into your own stepping into your power like this is a standard set by life but in that moment you're really setting the standard for them to rise to and it's like okay like in so you set that standard that they can rise to it and let it go or make a different choice or or really own it or or they cannot but you're again that's their choice and the best that you can do is to show them you care and then to set that standard. I do it with my with my coaching clients. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not always such a heavy topic, but in any situation, it's always, um, you know, I'm always holding this standard for them to, to step up to and step into and in different means of empowerment. Um, and it's that's uh, you set it and then you just allow. It's you kind of allow. It's, it's kind of like. Um... You know what you were talking about about just like um, the 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 power of thinking, right? Is like you know um, is to let somebody know you care about them, that you're available to them as an ally and a guide and a consultant. And I love the idea of then stepping back and allowing. And um, and I've done some life coach work myself, and I think that's like such a potent word um, because if you because most of the time when we're not where we want to be. We're in our own way. It's not like there's these external obstacles, you know. There, there are always right. <laughs> hoops to jump through and things like that. But the toughest part is always like getting out of your own mind and stepping out of your own way. And usually, that's the thoughts we think, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, the phrase that's been coming up a lot for me lately that I've really liked to explain this. It's like driving with the handbrake on. Um, and, and, and so, you know, like people will be headed in one direction, but then every step of the way, like the thoughts that they're thinking, you know, especially if we want to keep it focused on the thoughts, like the thoughts that they're thinking are totally, I mean, that's the handbrake. It's totally in opposition of the things that they want to do, um, or trying to achieve or the place that they're trying to, you know, be at. Um, 
so yeah, that allowance um, uh, in your either whether it's you're working with somebody else. I mean, the the power there. One of the big things is it helps you to uh, one it, it keeps you out of taking on responsibility that isn't yours. Right. Also, it, it it helps keep you out of judgment of how they respond. Right, because it doesn't matter how they respond; their response is their response, and you just allow it to be and to happen. Um, but then, in your own life, allowance in like uh, again, you are responsible for you and yourself, and that alone. And so, you take ownership of that. And so, like if you're trying to make a if you're trying to make a change in your life, ultimately, what you need to do is uh, like a lot of what I t- uh, share is you know you, you got to change an internal pattern, a mental pattern, an emotional pattern. And all you can do is take ownership of that and change that. And the way everything else responds to it, you just allow. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, what'll happen sometimes if people are trying to to create change, you'll start to, you know, create that that interchange or whatever, and then things will start to shift. And it might start to shift in a way that they didn't expect or that they think that, you know, their judgment says this isn't the way it's supposed to go or should go. And so then they really try to like hop in and, 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 you know, manhandle it and, and they're not allowing. And really what they're doing is putting on that handbrake. And if they were just allow it, it all turns out even better than they would have thought. It's um, such a brilliant, I love the handbrake analogy, right? That, that we're, that even though we're trying to propel ourselves forward, we're working against ourselves at the same time. There's this internal struggle. Do you, do you get the pushback on this though? That like, ah, eh, Kevin, this is a bunch of psychobabble. You don't get it, man. The, I've, I've just got, the world shits on me. I've got bad luck, <laughs> you know? Um, and you just, and, and, and all, all this, 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 um, kind of pleasant psychobabbly. I've got all the power within me. I'm empowered. Um, that, that sounds great. And it works for you, obviously, but um, you lead some kind of a charmed life because for me, it just doesn't work that way. Do you get that kind of pushback? Uh, yeah. I mean, people can to- totally respond like that either. I mean, that's, some people can just be totally like that off the bat, or you'll have people that accept it in some areas of their life and then other areas of their life. They're like, no, this doesn't work in this way. <laughs> right. Um, and, and when, when that comes up, uh, well, one, if someone's like, if it's like, oh, well it works for you. And like, yeah, it works for me because it works. Um, but also, you know, like, uh, with that, the first thing I would bring someone to is if you, okay, now just write everything that, write down everything you just said to me. The world shits on me, the world this, the world, you know, blah, 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 blah. Great. Write all that down. Take a look at it. Does your experience match that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, change it then, you know, like you're yes. telling me this doesn't work, but by definition, if it works, then that's why your thoughts and your experiences match. Right. Like, right. Absolutely. And if that's you, a great point that it works even in the negative, right? I mean, specifically exactly. In the that's negative. the point. Right. That's the point. It works either way. So that's why you change it. Sure. And so if, if, if the, if your negative experience is matching your negative thoughts, there's what's the harm in just trying a positive one. I mean, you'll feel good for a moment. Right. Like, right. Right. Even right. If nothing else changes. You'll feel better. If you're feeling crappy emotions, you're probably thinking crappy thoughts. But if you stick with that positive thought two, three, four times, right? That's another key. You got to commit to it. Everything will start to shift. Yeah. And the next thing you'll know, you'll be talking to somebody, you know, you'll be talking to your friend who's given you the same thing that you gave me. And you're like, no, 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 but it works. <laughs> you just got to try it. You just got to do something different, right? You just got to do something different. Um so, and then there's like a bunch of other, uh, there's a few other fun tricks that I like to do in workshops with that. But the biggest thing is like, does your, does your experience match what you're saying? I love that. I love that. And one way or another, the answer is yes. It absolutely, it's always, yes. it's yeah. always, it's always, yes. I love that. Um, so take me to, and, and I get the coaching piece of this, um, and the empowerment of thinking in a positive way. And to my thinking, there's there's a kind of a quantum shift. So if we're talking about like, you know, taking the parking brake off, uh, Mm -hmm. you're going from uh, first gear up into fifth when you talk about joy, right? Because joy is a different experience than I feel good or I feel like I'm heading in the right direction or something like that. Take me to joy. Take you to joy. Um, So joy... Actually, I'm going to ask you to maybe define that question a little bit more. Like, how yeah. do you get from the parking brake to joy, yeah, or what is it yeah. like when you, you hit know, that um, point? Right. So, so I, you're, you're being abundantly clear. Your thoughts mm-hmm. bring you what you, in a way, the, the the law of attraction works particularly well. 
in, in terms of the way you think. The way you think is going to draw what happens in your life. So if you think the world is crappy to you, the world's going to be crappy to you. If you think good things can happen to you, it might take some a little rehearsal, but good things will eventually happen to you. Um, so that feels like, okay, so that can get me to a life well lived. How do I get to a point where I feel joyful a lot of the time? Is it the same formula? Uh, yes, essentially it's, it all comes down to the same principles. Um, the thing that you start to add in though, I feel this is natural. This naturally comes in if you're really sticking with the mindset stuff, but you know, adding in the, the self-love aspect, right. But the biggest, I would say the, the biggest thing is you always keep asking yourself what's next, what's next, what's next. Cause at whatever level you hit, you and if you're remaining aware of the thoughts that you're using, if you're remaining, if you're really sticking to this, to these concepts, and you're really taking responsibility for what you're doing, um, no matter how good it is, you'll catch yourself in like, oh, well, what if I just change this thought a little bit more? What if I use this word instead? Or what if and you just keep changing? It's just what's next? How do I go even further? How do I go even further? And when you live that way, your life reflects it, and it just gets better and better and better and better. Um, and that's where that's where that that's where you hit that joy and 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 continue and sit with it. Yeah. And that's really that's that's again part of that message of not 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 only that you can be joyful or you can be happy sometimes or good things do happen. No, like joy is a state that you can live in consistently, and. It really comes down to again taking ownership of um, taking. I mean, you have to take 100% responsibility and taking ownership of the thoughts that you think and the way that you treat yourself and and the way that you shape your life through your internal dialogue, etc. You know, your mindset um, your mindset affects uh, what you attract, how you feel, and the way you perceive things. Your, your perception, what you're aware of. If you're focused on the problem, if you're focused on, on you know, the world shits on me or the world is shitty, all you're ever going to see is that because that's what you're looking at. That's where you're focused. So, I mean, so that's all you're going to see because you're focused on it. You're also going to see more of it because you're attracting it. Mm -hmm. And you're also not going to feel good because you're thinking, you know, crappy thoughts. Right. And so, <laughs> uh, like, you really, you change the thought and, and, there's a story I like to share. Um, it, it didn't happen all too long ago. And it was as I really was really starting to drive in and, and, and push my business and step into my business and, and do this stuff full time. And um, I was coming across all of these programs and, um, uh, you know, consulting and all this stuff to help, you know, entrepreneurs and small business owners and all these things. Then everything that I was coming across at that point was out of the range of what I would say was uh, financially responsible. And after that happening, running into a few of them, this internal dialogue started of, I need to have more money or I need to make more money if to be able to push my business forward and that was playing for a bit and after about two weeks i'd say i was i think like making tea in the kitchen and all of a sudden i caught that thought i was like right. wait a minute this is not what i want if i keep saying i need to have more money or, or i don't have enough money to push my business forward or i need to have more money to push my business forward i'm going to always find myself in that position and so i was like okay let's scrap that I'm going to throw it because then you keep putting it in the future. If right. it's always I need, then it's always in the future versus I have. So I'm like, I'm going to scrap this. I toss it out. I have all the money I need and more to push my business forward. And I stuck to it. So this is, again, where the commitment comes back in. Chose that thought. This is what I'm creating. This is what, this is what I'm experiencing. And within 48 hours, I had two new clients. I received a free coaching session from a coaching company for coaches and I found the perfect um program for my business. Now wow. Part of yeah, it's I mean and it can shift that quick, uh -huh. especially like when you're really owning it. And you know, I, I point out the commitment because I feel like what people will do a lot of times, especially those people like, oh the world's shit, they'll try one positive thought, then they'll the car will drive past them and splash them with mud. 
and like, no, see, the world's shit. And then they have 500 thoughts that follow that they've thought every day for the last 10 years, and then they're just right back to it. Right. Didn't work, Kevin. Thanks a lot. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, actually, it did work. What you did was go back to the old thing you were using. Right. So you got to commit to it. So I definitely ran into other programs that were, again, outside of that realm of financial responsibility. But when I ran into them this time, instead of responding with, oh, I need more money or, or this feeling of, oh, I don't have enough money, it was, well, if I have all the money I need and more to push my business forward, then clearly I don't need this program. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, going back to this old thing. It's like, no, I'm sticking. Like, this is what I've committed to. This is what I'm creating for myself. This is, you know, and... And so I stick with that no matter what comes up and fit those things. You know, it's like now I can perceive it differently. Right. It, it isn't It isn't going back to the need. It's the, oh, well, I actually don't need that because I have all of that I need. And if that doesn't fit in, then it doesn't fit. And I push it aside. And the program that I ended up finding was actually something that had already come across, uh, like I was already aware of. But it happened during those previous two weeks. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, this looks great. But it's probably another one of those programs that I can't afford. And so I just toss it aside. And this kind of goes back into the, like the what you perceive or what you're aware of, what's your mindset. The moment I changed my awareness, um, you know, I got this hit like, oh, let's just check it out. Right. And that's some of the attraction stuff kicking in. But, you know, you get this hit yep. and I follow through and I and instead of respond, instead of opening up and looking through it a little bit and going, yeah, this is great. But I'm sure it's just another one of those programs. I went through the whole shebang through their little funnel or whatever. And it was perfect. It was not only specifically what I needed, but specifically at the price range that I could afford. And I never would have seen it had I not just shifted the thought and committed to that change. I love that. I, I mean, the, the language you use kind of overall is, is super empowering, right? And, and, uh, and it, it suggests like there is no end point, right? So you can find there one isn't. program, this doesn't work. And, I, and, I, and that idea of what's next um, kind of suggests like, okay, so joy and really uh, being in your skin and in your life is not a moment in time. It's not something you achieve and okay, I'm there. I'm good. I read the right book or I said the right thing in my head. It's a lifelong practice. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a, yeah. I like it's that. A way, it's, it's, it's a way of living. Right. Um, and you know, it's, I, the reason like when you, yeah, when you get to this point, um, you know, the reason I would say that I, that I experienced the, the joy and the expansiveness and the abundance and the creativity and all this stuff that, that in, in my life and the reason why, I'm, uh, you know, the people that I've worked with are able to tap into it and have started living it themselves is because it's, it becomes a lifestyle. You choose happiness in every moment. You have a choice every moment. With every thought, you have a choice. Every time you go, you can choose. The world shits on me. The world supports me at every moment. And it's choosing the world supports me every time that turns it into uh, uh, – to where it becomes your, your state or what you experience always. But it's still something you're choosing every step of the way. It's such a comforting phrase, the world supports me. And yet to think about something every moment sounds arduous, but to watch you and to listen to you – it doesn't feel arduous. You, you, you've got no. juice. You've got energy. You've got um, uh, you've got energy and, and and empowerment to spare. I can tell. So this is not difficult, huh? No, because it's not like I'm sitting here every moment and I'm like, okay, pick this one. Okay, pick this one. Okay, <laughs> pick this one. Okay. When you choose to think those thoughts, they start. Those start to naturally come out. Right. And when you first start on your journey. Um, you know, so, uh, when people first start off and they start working with this, some uh, initially what'll happen a lot of times stuff will come up and these are those clues to recovery, right? The emotions, the thoughts, they, they, they start to come up. Um, but when you keep with it consistently, I think I lost my train of thought a little bit, but when you keep with it consistently, um, that's when, that's when it starts to change and it's through that choice that it really starts to expand. And when the stuff comes up, that's when, when the stuff comes up, that's when it's more of a moment of like, 
I'm I am deliberately choosing this versus just like I mean I wake up in the morning I'm like the world supports me, but if I hit a, if it, you know if you hit a, a rough spot right that's that's when that's when the 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 choice is much more conscious so yeah it's not it's not a it's not a task it's not a um, I mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be joyful if it felt like a chore <laughs> right, right right good point good point so so tell me about this this 30 day program if you don't mind that that uh, that Amy kind of informed us both about yeah so um, I just got a weird moment of deja vu uh, this 30 day uh, this 30 day self so it's called the 30 day self-love marathon and uh, it was a, an idea that um, I had had bits and pieces of, but it came through more fully a couple weeks ago, and I decided to fall through on it. And it's uh, it's starting February 26th, and it goes for 30 days, and it's all geared towards, um, well, loving yourself. But essentially, what that means is like cultivating a, a, a a positive and loving relationship with yourself, which plays into so much. It plays into the, to the, um, relationships you attract. It, it plays into how you experience your relationships. It, it plays into your level of confidence, your self-esteem, how you show up in the world. You know, when, when we start on our first day, the first video that I'm sharing, I've given people some groundwork. We talked about, uh, you know, dropping, dropping criticism, um, getting rid of, we started touching on getting rid of judgment and most of that revolved around dropping the word should from your language. Um, and when we start on the first day, I'm sharing a, a video, uh, on what I call the self-esteem cycle. And basically I just walk people through five points. The first point is where you're at and how you feel right now. The second point is the cycle starts to move is your, your patterns and your responses and the thoughts you're using and your patterns and your responses and your thoughts you're using move into point three and that's how you show up which, and, so if you if you're sitting here now and this cycle starts to move and you're thinking uh, the world is shit and you know all this other stuff, when it comes to the point of how you show up in the world, you're showing up pretty miserable. Right. And how you show up then plays into point four, which is um, how you perform. So your ability to speak in front of a crowd, to approach a stranger, to take a compliment. This is all defined by how you show up, which was defined by the thoughts you're using. Um, and so then you have this moment of how you show up and then you have this second part of where things play out. And really this is your response. How'd you respond to your public speaking opportunity? How'd you respond to, mm. um, let's say, let's say you want to approach someone and you didn't, how do you respond to yourself in that moment? Do you start, um, criticizing yourself and tearing yourself down? Or do you go, you know what, next time I'm going to go for it. I know that, you know, I've, I deserve it or whatever. And then that brings it back to the original point, which is your current state. Um, so we're, we're this, the self love plays into everything. Yes. And, and so throughout each week, um, every Monday people are going to pick a self love habit for the week. So just one thing that you're going to do every morning or night, whether that's make yourself a cup of tea or look at yourself in the mirror and tell you that, tell yourself that you love yourself. doesn't matter. Just one thing. It can take three seconds that you're going to do every day for that week. Tuesdays are going to be a reflection. I'll post a different question to reflect on with progress or, or things about yourself. Wednesdays are going to be, um, uh, I don't want to call them training videos, but training videos. And that's where I start to introduce the new concepts. And that's kind of where more it's, uh, it's almost like a group coaching type feel. Thursdays are, I'll be assigning an activity. So for example, one of the activities that I'm going to share is writing a love letter to yourself. So most people can think of someone, write a love letter to, you know, their, their crush or their partner or whoever, but how about you write that lovingly to yourself? You know, it might feel a little weird, but I mean, do it. Why not? Like, and so Friday will be a check-in. It'll just be kind of like a random question to kind of keep the momentum going. Nothing too heavy, though. And then Saturdays, I um, announce a type of self-love date to take yourself on. So it's going to be four different ones. And to give another example, one of them is going to be a spa day. And the question is pretty much, how much can you pamper yourself? 
how much and when you think you've got it developed like what's the next step that you can do to like make it you know maybe you maybe you're gonna grab grab some like super comfy super comfy uh slippers before you start or you know maybe you'll light an extra candle it's just like really how far can you go with it and then sundays will be a live q a i'll be getting on uh facebook live every week doing a q a um, making sure that people are are integrating you know handling any questions that are coming up stuff like that and that'll that'll cycle for four weeks so, so I, I'm going to admit to you, Kevin, that when I first heard the phrase, I thought, mm, what's the utility of this really? You know, like, is this just another program, you know, that's, that, that's this kind of faux feel-good thing? But to hear you describe it, it sounds potent and powerful and somehow very of the moment. Like, I think there's a number of things that, that point to this being a great idea right now. And part of it is I think we give ourselves and maybe it's social media and everything that's going on politically in the world, precious little consideration. Literally, do we consider ourselves? And so I love your idea of just like, you're going to protect a month and you're going to consider yourself. And I especially love the idea of Fridays, I think it is, where you're pampering yourself and it's like, take it a step further because be as selfish as you can and you're probably in the wheelhouse that seems about right. I, I love that. And somehow in these times that feel so harsh and, and brutal, there's, there's this kind of like kindness to the, to the self that I think we as a culture ritually ignore. That feel, and it feels so important to kind of bring everything back to that because I think we never meet our potential in terms of being good to ourselves, being good to other people, doing our part unless we really love ourselves, really truly take that time to consider, care for, and love ourselves. So I, I so appreciate you taking the time, thought, and energy to put that together. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And, uh, and like you said, a lot of people... People do kind of miss, you know, the first time someone told me or like introduced this notion of, you know, you have to love yourself. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> of course I love myself. Like, what do you mean? Right. And, and I've come to learn, though, I mean, there's really different levels. And, you know, the first video that we did uh, in the group to kind of set up some some groundwork before we we got off and running um, was a thing on cutting the criticism. And then I shared with people, there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with her, her name's Louise Hay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's phenomenal. And I have a she, picture yeah. of me with her. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, um, one hero. day I will take a picture. Yeah, she yes. is she is fantastic. And so she shares the story, uh, you know, when she kind of explains this concept of, of loving yourself, she goes, you know, when a baby's learning how to walk, no matter how far that baby gets, no matter how far that baby may have already gotten, whenever that baby falls down, you never, you always respond with praise. And you, I mean, you immediately you help the baby up and everyone's like, yeah, and you're doing so well. And the baby's up and they got the big smile and they're excited and they're ready to go again. And, and they learn to walk. No one turns to that baby and goes, stupid baby, you'll never learn how to walk. Who do you think <laughs> right. you are? Right. But just keep crawling. You know, like all the, the butt. And so that's how we want to treat ourselves. But yet, you know, how often, you know, one of the trends that I've been seeing, uh, that I've been seeing with people, um, uh, you know, I, I survey the people that come into the group and, and the different clients that I work with is this response of like, you know, who do you think you are to do that? Who yes. do you think you are to, you know, I, I've worked with someone who she just wants to help other people and have this response of who do you think you are to help other people? Like that's, uh, you know, we would, you would never respond to a baby. Like, who do you think you are to walk? A human? Such, like, <laughs> such a beautiful point, man. Um, so, so I want to give um, my listeners, uh, an opportunity to find you, to participate in the, in the 30 day self-love marathon. But before we do, there's this question that's kind of, um, that, that struck me about a half an hour ago that I've wanted okay. to ask you. Um, so here, here we are, we're two guys talking about these very emotional concepts, um, do you think, and, and, and typically I think a lot of people would think like, oh, this is, this is very feminine stuff to talk about. This isn't guy stuff, you know, like, um, and, and so you guys are outliers somehow. 
What, what do you think of the, if there is, of the changing nature of masculinity or what ought to be uh, the changing nature of what it means to be a man? Because it strikes me like you seem like a really cool guy. And, you Thank know, you. I think, you know, of course, and, 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 you know, and I, and I like to think somewhere in the back of my mind that the nature of what that means is evolving in a positive way. What do you think? Yeah, well, there, there is a, a bit of a, and I feel like it is becoming outdated. Um, but this, uh, you know, this like man's man and you gotta, you know, you don't, I mean, you, you go back, I mean, there's, you know, the generations bravado, where it's like right? guys bravado. don't, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, some generations wouldn't, you know, you couldn't be a guy and say, I love you. Other generations, it's like, you just can't, you can't cry. Other generations, you can't. And, uh, there's so many different responses to this. I mean, as far as like the, like the can't cry, you know, we, we talked about earlier in, in this episode about how when you cut off your emotions, you're cutting off your path to this, this joy and happiness, Right. Um, if we want to put across a point that kind of just blows out the, just gets rid of the gender things. Like, I don't, I don't think being happy, it, it has a gender. You don't, you don't assign being happy. Like you, no one says, oh, being happy is a woman's thing or being happy is a man's thing. Like being happy is being happy. Um, but yeah, so there is, but there is a little bit of a, um, I don't want to use the word stigma, but there is a little guys guys for can sometimes for fear of losing this sense or appearance of manliness may shy away from things that seem a little feely because that can be uh, attributed to a more feminine thing but in reality we're all just human and we all feel things so um but i do think i feel like i have witnessed a big shift uh, especially like the younger you go with the generations and, and how, and how that plays out. Um, but, uh, which is awesome. Um, and, and that has been, that, that has been a part of even my own journey too, because I've, um, I mean, I was raised by a single mother and, yeah. uh, I, 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 I do not, um, I'm not into cars. I'm I'm not into like I mean most of the guy friends that I had like there were um, there were a lot of like common guy things that I didn't necessarily relate to and and um, there was one of the biggest points for me of really coming into myself as a person was being like you know what my my masculinity isn't defined on by my interests like. Um, but yeah, so I do feel it's shifting, but ultimately it's like happiness is is there for everyone. It's not a gender gender specific thing. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that. So uh, if uh, if some of our listeners want to get in touch with you, want to be a part of this 30-day self-love marathon, what do they do? Where do they go? Um, so the easiest thing you can... Probably search 30 Days Self-Love Marathon on Facebook, but the easiest thing might just be to go to kevinoberhausen.com. There's a big bar at the top that says uh, uh, join our 30-day marathon. If you click it, it'll take you right to the Facebook group. Click to join. I'll approve you within the day. <laughs> um, and uh, um, from there, uh, there's a few other things that they're, they're interested in, the various stuff we talked about Um uh, if you uh, take a look at my blog, there's opportunities to, I have a five part, um, uh, like email training course that pretty much just goes over the different things we talked about mindset, the emotional wellness. Um, uh, we even take it a step further into shaping your surroundings to support yourself and that's totally free. Um, and, uh, you can connect with me on, uh, Facebook if you just, put my name in there or facebook.com slash Kevin Oberhausen official or on Instagram, which is really my preferred thing. I love Instagram and that's just Kevin underscore Oberhausen. So you can see, um, everything from inspirational content to tips to my favorite tacos to all sorts of All right, you guys seek out Kevin Oberhausen. Um, an inspired and inspiring guy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kevin. Thank you so much. Hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Likewise. All right, guys. And uh, 
For those of you listening, you can find this um, this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, WGN Plus, and LiveLeadPlay.com. If you have thoughts, comments, questions, or smart remarks about the podcast, uh, please direct those to uh, John G. Duffy at DrJohnDuffy.com. As always, I so uh, appreciate you protecting some time for myself and my uh, guests. Uh, On behalf of Kevin and myself, thank you so much, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks so much.